Our scripture reading this morning is from Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of, our, of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child and a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Savior. Father, we give this time to you. We ask that your truth would reign. We ask that as your people that we would hear and we would understand who you are, Father, better than when we came. Use these words, Father, to transform us and to teach us and to guide us, to convict us and to encourage us. And Father, may whatever comes out of my mouth, if it is not of you, Father, that it would die on, on ears, on deaf ears, Father, and that only your truth would be heard. We ask this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Everybody recovered from Easter? Obviously not. Ate too much ham or whatever is your traditional way of doing it. Glad to have everybody back. Glad to see everybody here. And I do pray that it was a, a good time, that it was a chance for us as God's people to, to celebrate the death and resurrection and the ascension of Christ, our Savior. Uh, we are done with 1 Samuel, and we are taking a break from now until fall. In fall, we'll start uh, 2 Samuel, because we've only done half the story, so we need to finish up the story. We kind of left it in the middle of it. Um, so we're going to spend about the next six weeks or so in Titus, and then throughout the summer, we are going to be taking one psalm at a time, a bunch of different psalms, uh, 12 in total, uh, 12 psalms in total, and so 10 to 12, and so, um, so that's kind of our plan uh, in the upcoming few months, let's say it that way. So when we start a new book, when we move, whether that's in our personal study or we start a Bible study or from the front, when we start to study a new book of the Bible or a different book of the Bible, it's important for us to understand a bit of its background, who the audience is to, so the, the, the group of people that this letter or this book was written to, and then the reason for writing it. Um, that's all important because it helps us to fight the desire to actually read into the letter our own meaning. Well, this is what it means to me. That's usually where we go that's our tendency at first, jump right to what does this mean to me, and we forget, actually, it was written, not to me, it was literally written to Titus. So what was Paul saying to Titus, and what was he telling Titus to tell the churches of his time, and then how does that apply to us? Does that make sense? If we skip those two Titus and the churches of his time, what we tend to do then is we make it all about us, and the Bible is not about us. There is a lesson that Paul wants Titus to teach the churches, and through that then we learn what is God saying to us now. If we skip just to the end and to the application right away, we miss the depth and the richness that God has for us in His Word. 
And so to prevent that, let's get a little bit of a background. We got to do a little bit, like literally just a few sentences, kind of understanding the background and the audience. So the reason to, or Titus is written, the book Titus is written by the Apostle Paul to his fellow ministry leader, Titus. Titus is a Gentile who came to Christ through Paul's preaching. This is all found actually within the context of Titus itself and then in other places of the New Testament. Of Paul, uh, Paul's four missionary journey, journeys, Titus joined him on three of those journeys. And so the two of each other know each other really well. They're not strangers. It's not some guy he picked up off the street and said, hey, why don't you lead the people? No, there was a relationship there. There's, they know each other really, really well. And so what Paul is trying to uh, teach Titus or to remind Titus is that he is in, Titus is in Crete right now, and Paul is saying, finish up your work in Crete because I've got work for you to do over in these other churches. I want you to wrap up that ministry, and I want you to complete the organization of these churches. In other words, get them established with elders and deacons, and then deal with the false teachers that are actually in those churches, and then teach the believers what it means to live with godly conduct. And we see this, that godly conduct, especially right in the beginning um, in these verses that we're going to look at today. So these first four verses, yes, they're an introduction to a letter. Um, yes, it's a pretty typical Greek way of introducing, but he picks, introducing the letter, like we would say, dear so-and-so. That's our introduction usually for letters. This is a normal Greek introduction, but Paul picks these words specifically specifically for Titus and for the churches that Titus is going to. So what he's trying to do, what Paul's trying to do, is build a foundation for what he's going to say in the letter. And there are three main things that Paul is telling Titus that he's going to have to remember and focus on in his ministry to these churches. And these are super general. One would be good preaching. Two would be good theology. And three, and this really hurts my heart because you know I hate three-point sermons, the goodness of God. Those three things, good preaching, good theology, and the goodness of God. Okay, so hear me out. I'm not going to speak about myself here, okay? There are two questions when it comes to good preaching. There are two questions that need to be addressed. First of all, what is the difference between preaching and teaching? And second, what is the difference between good preaching and bad preaching? And Paul answers actually both of these questions in these verses, though maybe not as directly as we would expect. So, so what's the difference? First of all, what's the difference between preaching and teaching? Now, technically speaking, teaching is the act of imparting knowledge or skill in something. For instance... What does it properly, what was one properly, how does one properly ride on a bike on Elms Creek, Elm Creek Park Reserve's dirt trail? That's a lot of words. Maybe I should say that again. Okay, so if you want to ride on Elm Creek Park Reserve's dirt trail, not the paved trail, the dirt trail, the one with trees like right here. Okay, if you want to just grab your bike and go start riding the trail, guess what's going to happen? You're going to hit a tree. How do I know that? 
I'll let your imagination run, okay? But if you, um, if you would get taught how to ride on the trail, there are specific skills that you need to learn, more than just pedaling and turning. Those are important, right? But things like you need to look 10 to 20 feet ahead of you and don't look at the trees because you actually ride where your eyes are pointed and where you're looking. So if you're looking at a tree, you're going to hit a tree. If you're looking at the trail, you're going to stay on the trail. And you're going so fast, you've got to stay ahead of yourself. Well, somebody had to teach me that more than just, hey, that tree taught me not to run into it. Someone came alongside me and they said, okay, this is what you need to do. Here's the technique. That is teaching. Or take Paul's words in verse 1, where he speaks of his ministry for the sake of the elect's knowledge, quote, here's the quote, knowledge of the truth which accords to godliness. So Paul's ministry was to teach believers what was true and how to live out that truth in their everyday lives. That's the truth that accords with godliness. Godliness is an act, what they're actually doing. Are they living out what they believe? In other words, how are these Christians to daily live a life in a way that reveals their understanding and their familiarity with God? Do they know God? And if they know God, then their lives will reflect that knowledge. Does that make sense? So what does it mean to live according to godliness? That's, that's what Paul is going to try to teach Titus to teach the people. That's practical teaching. Preaching, on the other hand, is what's actually happening right at this moment. I am preaching to you. I am proclaiming a theological or a doctrinal message of the truth which God reveals in His Word the Bible. Now, there can be preaching and teaching, and there can be teaching and preaching, but a practical way to understand the difference is really whether there's any conversation happening. In preaching, I'm standing in front of you, I'm proclaiming a truth of God, but there's no real conversation, which means, you know, other, you can interact by, you know, shaking your head or nodding or just getting up and walking out, you can do those kinds of things, but there's not really a conversation happening. In contrast, let's just take Monday nights, our Monday night Bible study and prayer time. We gather for teaching, where there are interactions between all the people there with questions asked and answered by the teacher and by other people. Teaching happens. So I don't stand in front of everybody and talk and then say, you're not allowed to talk back. Let me, be, let me preach to you. No, that's a teaching moment. This is a preaching moment. There's no conversation, whereas on Monday nights there is a conversation or at other Bible studies or small groups. And so if that's what preaching is, then how do we know whether preaching is good or bad? Our tendency is to think of a good preacher as someone who's easy to listen to or somebody that we agree with. But this really isn't the criteria that Paul gives to Titus. He doesn't say, Titus, when you preach or when I preach, I do it in order to make sure that people enjoy it. 
If you know the story of Paul and Eutychus, the guy who fell out of the window because he fell asleep while Paul is preaching, gives me a lot of hope and grace as a preacher. That's not what it's about. That's not what Paul says, that we should only listen to good preaching, which is easy to listen to or that we agree with. Instead, good preaching is centered in and founded upon the message of what Paul calls the hope of eternal life that is clearly revealed in the Word of God. I once heard, a pre, uh, heard someone come to our, my last church that I was at 15 years ago, 10, 15 years ago, from a missionary who had horrible people skills. He stayed at our house the night before. It was not enjoyable to have a conversation with him. It just, it just wasn't. He's a great guy. Just, he complained that my tea wasn't made correctly. Like, it's like, okay, just didn't have great people skills. He actually stuttered a bit, was very monotone in his delivery when he preached that next day. And after the service, some people told me, don't ask this guy back. He is just not a good speaker. He is so boring to listen to. And I said, did you hear what he said? He's a man with very little people skills. He would not pass my seminary preaching class, delivery class, but his message was powerful. Because he spoke of the truth of eternal life that was proclaimed to the people that he was serving, who had never heard the gospel before. And he said, this is what I say to them. And this is the truth of God's word that I'm preaching to them and that I'm teaching them. All too often we see preaching like that as bad because it's boring to listen to or it's too long. Or it's monotone and monotonous. But the question has to be for us, is the message of God's truth? Because if his truth is being proclaimed, then it's good preaching. No matter how boring it is, it's good preaching. So if good preaching is centered in and founded upon the message of the hope of eternal life given in God's word, then bad preaching is centered in and founded upon something else, such as, for example, feelings, personal desires, cultural and political issues, health, prosperity, go on and on and on, all these other things. Essentially, this is a preaching that is centered upon me, Bad preaching is man-centered preaching, not God-centered preaching. Bad preaching is centered upon life here and now and not focused on eternity. Paul is reminding Titus of what he heard from Paul's preaching, eternal life, which is clearly revealed in God's Word. Now, good preaching It addresses all of these other issues, but it is not centered upon those things. Titus, Paul is saying, is to guide and to teach these churches that he's sending him to, to follow Paul's example. 
remember who you are, remember what good preaching is, and good preaching is centered upon eternal life found in Christ, in God. So if that's good preaching, then good theology. What is good theology? Theology is not a word, I think some people are afraid of that, like, oh, well, that's the theology, it's so academic. Well, it's not, it's simply the study of God. And if any of us pick up our Bible and we read it and we're striving to understand who God is, guess what? You're a theologian, you're studying God. It's just a word used to describe studying God and studying what He says. So in a very real sense, every single one of us is a theologian because we have some sort of understanding of God, whether that's a correct understanding or not can be, can be argued, but we, we have an understanding of God. Everyone is a theologian. And so coming back to Paul, why is his theology a good theology? Well, in connection with good preaching, his theology is good because his knowledge and understanding of God is based upon God's revelation of himself and his word. Are you, are you hearing a connection here? The same kind of theme over and over again. God's, or Paul's theology is good because it is God-centered theology. He is a servant of God, it says. He says he is an apostle of Jesus Christ, not of Peter, not of John, but of Jesus Christ, for the sake of God's elect, in hope of eternal life, which God has manifested by the command of God, our Savior. And the grace and peace Paul gives to Titus is not from himself, but from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. So his theology, his understanding of God is based on God. And that sounds funny, doesn't it? Like, well, duh, Mark. If you're going to understand God, you want to go to God, right? Well, let me use this as an illustration. If you wanted to know me better, me personally, Mark Donaldson, better, you would be hard-pressed to know me better by asking my wife to tell me about herself or about yourself. I want to get to know Mark better, so Katie, why don't you tell me about me? And yet that's what many of us do when it comes to wanting to know more about God. We go to God and we say, tell me more about me. Not tell me more about you. We say, what do I want to get out of this situation? What am I looking for in life? That's a me-centered theology. A God-centered theology seeks out what God wants and what God desires. What does God desire from me in this situation or that situation? What does God desire from me in my life? What does God want me to say? How does God want me to react? What does his word tell me about these things? What does God say he wants from me and what he's asking from me? These answers to these questions aren't found in ourselves. They're found in God who revealed himself and his desires to us through his word. Now, you may say, well, God doesn't say, take this job or that job. 
say hi to this person or that person? Should I marry this person or should I marry that person? God doesn't say specifically those things, but there is nothing that we have not dealt with in our lives that God in general does not deal with here. So if you're married and you're saying, is this the right person that I'm supposed to be married to? The answer is yes, because you're married to them. Because that's what God says. Should I go this place or should I go that place? And God says, seek wisdom, ask for wisdom, and I will give it to you. Go to people around you, go to the church and ask for prayer. There are practical ways given in God's word. Should this happen or should that happen? But you're not going to what do I want? What does God want? And what is he asking of me? So if you've got good preaching, and Paul is saying, having good theology, so a, a preaching that is God-centered and a theology that is God-centered, this naturally then points to the goodness of God. If preaching His Word is good and understanding who He is is good, then God is good. And specifically, Paul points to the hope of eternal life revealed in God's Word. This hope is not a chance or a desire as in, man, I sure hope it doesn't rain this week. It's going to rain this week. It's, it's not a, man, I, I really hope this happens or that happens. The hope here is not a desire. It is an expectation. I have a hope. Why? God's children have an expectation of life eternally in the presence of their God and King. How can we hold such an expectation? Because God never lies, and He will always give what He promises. Psalm 11, 7 through 8 says this, The works of His hands, that is God's hands, are faithful and just. All His precepts are trustworthy. They're good. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. In other words, God says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it. It's going to happen. 1 John 1, 9, to bring it back to our hope of eternal life, he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. That is, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why? So that we can be with Him, and we can know Him, and we can have life eternal in His presence. God is always faithful. He will do exactly what He promises to do, never in, this, in the way or time that we desire, but always precisely at the proper time. Paul tells Titus that the hope of eternal life was manifested in his word at the proper time. In other words, manifested means revealed. Their eyes were opened. It was revealed through the word of God right at the time that it needed to happen. So salvation from the forgiveness of sins was not done sooner nor later than what was planned and orchestrated by God. And why is this such a big deal for the people of Paul's time? Well, if you just take the Jews, they'd been waiting hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years for this Messiah to show up. And they're wondering, why isn't he here? 
Why isn't he here? All this bad stuff is happening. What about all the exile and all the people who died in these wars and these battles? God, why aren't you coming? And God says, it's not time. Until he sends Christ, he sent him at the proper time. Again, not a time that anybody expected, but still at the right time. And God did exactly what he said he would do. Send his Messiah to save his people from their sins and restoring their relationship to him so that they can have him eternally, forever. God always, on top of all of this, this hope of salvation, this expectation of eternal life, God always gives grace and peace to his children. He shows unearned and unmerited favor towards us, giving us a peace beyond our understanding. This means that no matter the circumstances, no matter the situation, no matter what happens in my life as a child of God, I am confident and I expect that God will grant me eternal life in his presence because he said so, that he always does what he needs to at the precisely the right time, and so I don't need to worry that he's forgotten me and that he's always going to give me grace and peace no matter the situation. Which is why a Christian can go through the most horrific circumstances in their life and stand back and say, God is good because he is always good. And he gives his peace when it is needed most. We are who are his disciples. Do not serve a bad God. We serve a good God. For he reveals eternal life through the preaching of his word, through the proclamation of the forgiveness of our sins and being made right before God, restoring our relationship to him, only accomplished through the death, life, life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ our Savior. That message, that gospel message, that message of eternal life is not reserved only for Sunday mornings. So when you hear me say preaching, we almost automatically always think of moments like this, right? Why is it not reserved only for Sunday mornings, but for each day that we're here and we're alive on this earth? Well, because our faith in and our knowledge of the truth of God is going to be revealed in our everyday lives. Hence, understanding godliness, as Paul tells Titus. Our love for God will be seen through our actions and heard through our words. Paul tells him later on, Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, that is, salvation through Jesus Christ when he appeared on this earth, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, he says. And we're going to get there exactly what that means. But in other words, as a child of God, someone somewhere preached to you and I the truth of the gospel message, the truth of eternal life through Jesus Christ alone. It may or may not have been in a worship service, right? 
Mine was in a backyard Bible club. Perhaps it was a brother or a sister or a parent. It doesn't always happen on Sunday mornings. In fact, I would argue that very few times does it actually happen on a Sunday morning in the world. But it was preached nonetheless. Their lives and their words of these people who spoke to us this truth of eternal life, their lives and their words preached the truth found only in God. Our lives always proclaim something to those around us. So if I was to say, I love Jesus, I love his word, and then I never open it up and read it, do I actually love him and his word? The answer is no. If I say, I love my wife, but then my actions show, actually, I despise her, do I actually love her? When Paul says in chapter 3, Titus chapter 3, about the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, he's saying we're, we're made different. Our lives before Christ, before we believed eternal life, our lives were all about us. It was preaching centered on me. It was theology centered on me. Me, 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 me. And then I was saved and God goes, yeah, this is not about you. This is about me. And over time, called sanctification, so he renews us immediately. We are saved, we are changed, we are a new creation, and then he is constantly growing us and changing us throughout the rest of our life, very often painfully, right? (laughs) Anybody who's been a believer for a long time, here's the word sanctification, and we go, it's great, (laughs) it's nice, I love it, it's good. Yes, it is, but it's painful. It hurts. There's a reason that it's called the crucible. Because it's the burning of us so that the dross and the impurities come to the top so God can scrape them away. Which means it's going to hurt. Do our lives... Proclaim us or God. That's what Paul is trying to remind Titus to teach these people. And this is important because there are false teachers in these churches. They are leading people astray from the truth of who God is and his eternal life, the hope of eternal life. Instead, it's putting in something like circumcision or being a good person. And so he's saying, preach good, God-centered theology because we serve a good God who saves us. And so are we proclaiming with our lives individually wherever we may go this afternoon or going to work or to school? When we see our friends and our coworkers, our family members, are we proclaiming our expectation of eternal life that's promised in God? Is the word of God revealed through our lives? Or do we proclaim a me-centered hope, which in the end 
never leads to eternal life and it never points to the truth and knowledge of who God is. Now again, this is a process. We have failed. I, I have failed in living this out many times in my life. Praise God that I cannot lose my salvation. It would have been gone a long time ago. And God is patient. And he says, I know. You need to get better at this. You need to talk to your neighbors more. You need to exude grace and patience and peace and love and truth of who I am with your words and your deeds. Better, Mark. And so these words, as I was studying it this week, as I hear them again this morning, challenge and they encourage us, I hope. Both challenge and encourage as we strive as God's people each and every day to proclaim that truth of hope, that expectation. I am a child of God. And may those around us see it. May those that we come in interaction with, whether it's in a grocery store or in our homes, or at work, or at school, whether we talk to grandparents, aunts and uncles, other family members. May we hear these words and go, okay, so am I preaching and speaking the truth of God that is centered around Him or centered around me? When people hear me and they see me, is it all about Mark? Is it all about you? And is it a, a life that is founded on the truth, found in God's word that he's revealed to us, not only through his word, but through his son, Jesus Christ? That's, that's the challenge, but it's also the encouragement that God's gonna do his work in us and he is sanctifying us and next time I see my neighbors, maybe I'll be more aware and not just focused on me. Maybe I'll get the courage to speak the truth and not just live it. This is, this is where, as God's people, we need to kind of get hugged and slapped all at the same time in a good way. For us who evaluate our own hearts, who evaluate who we are as God's people, and as a, a family of God. Father, I pray that these words would do just that, that it would challenge us and encourage us. The Father, in those times and those moments when we, we lose sight even in our own hearts, God, of what is, what is good, preaching and good theology, we get so focused on us that we forget that actually we are your people, that you bought us at a price, and that you have revealed your truth to us through your word. So, Father, may we love your word, may we love your son, may we love you, and may our lives reflect that. Pray, I pray, Father, that you would give us an opportunity to preach this word to those who have never heard it and never understood it, 
so that some would come to you in faith and have the same hope, the same expectation that we have as your people. Father, grant that to us. Correct us. Encourage us so that we might live a life that is centered around you. We ask this in your name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our final song?